All right, welcome everyone back to dissecting popular IT nerds today. Coming through, coming to you, not live. We are pre-recording this, but I happen to be in Morocco because I have a development team over here, and we're testing the latency. Seems to be coming in quite well, and we are with Josh PV, Director of Information Technology at Trinity Community Health. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thank you, and. Let's let's do an let's do an oldie but a goodie. Let's start off with what was your first computer? Oh wow! Um, actually, I don't remember. I can't remember if it was a Gateway or a Dell, but it was a family computer that we got when I was <laughs> about fourteen. Um, so I know it was one of those two. It was a you know a desktop power model with a monitor, all in one package that we got from somewhere. But I honestly don't recall what it was. So that, that, well, then that dates you well, because it puts you somewhere on the curve of technology that you probably had a DVD player on that. And if it was a gateway, then everyone knows those boxes were the, yeah, the cow boxes that everyone wells. It was either the gateway or was the Dell dude. Remember the Dell? Like, dude, you got a Dell. Remember the Dell guy? Yes. I still do that to this day. Still do that <laughs> commercial. Like I verbalize that commercial to this day. And I, I and I think Saturday Night Live did a, a spoof on it with like a with George Bush, you know, like dude, you got a Dell. But um, okay, so what? Oh wow! So then um, connected to the internet or not? Yeah, back then. So dial we worked. We worked. Okay. At first we weren't. Yeah, it was absolutely dial up. What was so? How did you end up in tech? How did you end up where you are now? Did you just fall into it and like, hey, I just. Like I can do stuff with computers, so I ended up with a job in it. Like a lot of people ended up because technology is really not that old. Or were you like, no, I love this and I want to do it? Or what happened? It was kind of like a combination of both. Uh, in the professional sense, yes, I did kind of fall into it. But ever since I've had that first computer at fourteen, um, whenever I realized that. Um, my mom actually put a, a restriction on me for, you know, the time limit and the parental controls. Mm -hmm. I, I was so interested in learning so much about computers at that time that I figured out a way to bypass that. And I was like, oh, this is kind of natural to me. But, you know, it kind of started there, I guess, technically, but I did fall into it professionally. Um, my first job in IT, actually, they contacted me. I had my job posted uh, with the Louisiana Workforce Commission. Uh, when I was taking a break from my first year in college and they contacted me and asked me if I wanted a job. And, you know, I had never really considered a career in IT at that point or even, you know, working in the field. But I was like, yeah, sure, I'll give it a try. And here I am today. So, you know, it worked out. Um, but but I did absolutely fall into that or it fell into me. I said, to be able to map out a landscape, you have to have a technology roadmap. You have to do all of these things that I don't know if we even thought about them or they were even a, even a second thought back in the day when that first job, what were you doing? So I actually started out installing Promethean boards, which are just like a, a different manufacturer's model of a smart board in the schools all over Louisiana. Um, we had the company I worked for had a state contract that they had just gotten with a majority of the schools or over half of the schools in the state. And uh, I started out doing that. And then kind of worked my way into cabling, fiber and infrastructure, and mm -hmm. uh, kind of so on from there into computer maintenance, hardware type 
and what were you doing, like the school network back then? In other words, were you the smartest guy on campus, so to speak, back then, or one of the smartest guys when it came to technology? And was there a lot of, I I just get this feeling that back in the day, there wasn't a lot of people holding us accountable to what it did other than like, it's broken, it's not working, hurry up and fix it. You know, know, it was, it was, it's kind of like, how did you hold someone accountable that to something that you don't know how to use yourself yet it's a tool that we need to have somehow we know that we need to have you know this it's and it's actually i don't think that idea has changed too much or, or you still wouldn't have you know upper management making technology decisions and, and handing it down to it to implement and it looking at them cross you know cross i'd be like like why did you choose this and and you know that that's kind of where the whole disconnect or the bridge between technology leadership and executive management breaks down hey guys this is phil howard founder of dissecting popular it nerds i just want to take a few minutes to address something it has become fairly apparent i'm sure all of you will agree over the years that slow vendor response vendor response times vendors in general the the average is mediocre support is mediocre mediocrity is the name of the game not only is this a risk to your network security because i've seen vendors on numerous occasions share sensitive information but there's also a direct correlation to your budget and your company's bottom line not to mention the sales reps that are trying to sell you and your ceo and your cfo on a daily basis that causes a whole nother realm of problems that we don't have time to address. Our back office program at Dissecting Popular IT Nerds, we've put together specifically for IT leadership, and it's on a mission to eliminate this mediocrity. And the best part is that we're doing this in a way that will not cost your IT department a dime. So if you'd like us to help you out, get better pricing, better support, and jump on pressing issues in minutes, not days, then contact us now so we can get on a a call with you and conduct a value discovery session where we find out what you have, why you have it, and where you want to go and how we can improve your, your life, your IT department, and your company's bottom line. What you're going to end up with is, number one, just faster support from partners who care about your organization's uptime and bottom line. And because you're going to be able to access our 1.2 billion in combined buying power, you'll be able to benefit uh, significantly from historical data. And on top of that, you'll also benefit from the skills of hundreds of on-demand experts that we have working behind the scenes that are all attached to our back office support program. So if you'd like, again, none of this is ever gonna cost you a dime, at the very least, it's going to open your your eyes to what's possible. Let our back office team provide you the high-touch solutions and support that your IT team deserves so that you can stop calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND for support. Now, if you're wondering, what does this apply to? This applies to your ISPs, your telecom providers, all your application providers, whether you're a Microsoft shop or a Google shop, what you might be paying for AWS, even Azure, co-location space, any of those vendors that you're paying a monthly bill to, we can help you with. Hey, it's Greg, the Frenchman secretly managing the podcast behind the curtain. 
To request your one-on-one call, contact us at internet at popularit.net. And remember, it will never cost you a dime. What was, I guess, what were you guys doing with the network back then? And what was the, I'm just curious as to what you remember the level of accountability being or or any type of technology vision, or was there, or was it kind of like, you know, a one-way street? It was kind of like a one-way street. To to answer your question, I definitely was not the smartest person in the room because I was 19 at the time, um, and I was fresh. So I, everything around me was new, and I was learning. I was in the process of learning. Um, and, and so there were a bunch of guys there that helped me tremendously to actually get to the point where I was even r- remotely competent in those areas. Um, <laughs> so it took me you know, quite a while to get to point of proficiency to even understand a network right um it was tell kind of story. you know just tell me a story like was some guy like okay so listen up this is a network card and this is what's called uh i don't even know what we had back then cat five this is called cat five plugs into here you got i mean what what was the what was the can you remember a very specific story like i can remember my first pizza delivery job and driving around with one guy and he was like hey you got to get the address. You got to go back here, look at this map, memorize this street, memorize that because we didn't have GPS back then. You got, you know what I mean? Like there's got to be some story that you remember of some guy teaching you something. Um, yeah, actually, whenever it came to specifically working on computer hardware, you know, uh, at that point they were like, here is, uh, just pretty much a, a fleet of computers, go through them and figure out what you can on them. And I had no clue what I was doing at the time. Again, you know, I, I dabbled, but I, I had a fleet of computers in front of me that I had to identify, you know, serialize, kind of go through and test. And I was like, I don't even know how to fully test these. But um, so I didn't really have guidance per se. On didn't that have part. Google. Kind of got thrown into it. But yeah, right. Did um, not have Google back kind of, then, everybody. Let's just say, you know, nowadays you can at least Google something and figure it out. I had a weird old Xerox like laser printer that had some weird part that needed. It was just Google, YouTube pops up, figure out, take this out, take that out, plug this part in, use this, that. You didn't have that back then. Right. Yeah, that's kind of how it was. It was just you're on your own, figure it out. If you come out with something productive, then good. If not, just stay in the room, you know? Keep pretending. And, uh, <laughs> I, that's, yeah, right. That's kind of what I did. <laughs> with my uh, old books and stuff we did actually have a little lot like a kind of a mini library yeah. where we could go get reference books like CompTIA books and things like that and kind of just worked my way through that and trained myself you know but that's all i had available to me really at the time you just reminded me of, you just made me i just visualized a, an old nortel uh pbx uh user's manual which was basically like three ring binders three of them in a row they go into this little like box that sit on a wall yeah might be a thousand pages long hmm. fun what about the phone systems love i love the i love the old phone systems ever had to deal with any of those so uh, yeah actually it's this organization that i work for now um we have well, you're in health it's healthcare when i came on board it's healthcare. You probably right. still have a Nortel. You probably still have a Nortel Avaya or some kind of uh, box in the back. What's going on over there? No, actually, we don't. It's a completely uh, VoIP system now and EFAX system. Um, so we so that was actually something I came into. Um, uh-huh. It was in the process of, of trying to update and kind of modernize to cloud infrastructure. And uh, that was something that I came into here. Um, and I helped build it out, you know, but so we're, we're actually a nonprofit FQHC. I don't know mm-hmm. if you're familiar with those or not, because I sure wasn't when I came here. And I mean, I understand you know, we, nonprofits like 
from a general standpoint and I guess somewhat of a, there's some politics to get involved, I guess, when it comes to, you know, it, it's not as easy to, it might not be as easy to modernize. It might not be as easy to get the budget approved, so to speak. I don't know. Any struggles there? Yes, absolutely. So that is the primary struggle is uh, funding, um, acquiring funding, whether it be through grants or through, you know, federal services that provide funding. That is pretty much how we operate. If we don't have it, we're kind of, you know, out of the, the school here, but so how do you um, so how do you prioritize then? So that's a good point. So how do you? I, I guess what's your biggest struggle, frustration, or problem? Uh, you know, right now, and and how are you guys overcoming that or, or attacking that? Um. So I, I guess our biggest struggle at this point in time is uh, implementing what we have recently acquired funding for with the limited resources I have available. Um. So we, you know, we're pretty big at this point we've gotten up to 43 locations as of this year um mm. across the state of louisiana mm-hmm. and that is massive growth because when i started here there were about 10 clinics how many um, 11. so how big is each clinic how many we don't want to call them end users you know customers human beings with a soul people with a soul right <laughs> what's what how many uh how many end users are we talking uh, we've got about 300, a little over 300 end users. Um, and the clinics themselves, some of them are massive. You know, we offer, uh, primary care services, dental services, uh, pharmaceutical services, behavioral health. So some of those bigger clinics, you know, we could have 80, 90 people in those clinics. And that's, you know, MDs, nurse practitioners, pretty much the whole gamut of, uh, the healthcare hierarchy. And then a, a majority of the clinics, as far as numbers, we actually provide services in uh, the schools. So we open these clinics in the schools for the kids to have service that, you know, typically don't or wouldn't be able to afford it. Sure. So a majority of our locations are within those schools. Very important, uh, being that I'm in a country where at the moment, uh, where I was asking people, I was asking uh, some of my buddies over here what the healthcare is like here. And he's like, well, if you don't have money, forget about it. Uh, so it's not right. like, you know, it's not like, uh, in the United States, even if you're totally broke and you show up to the emergency room, you're not going to get turned away. Some, something's yeah. still going to happen. So that's great that you guys are doing that as far as technology roadmap or struggles or implement or implementation of what you have. Why is it, I guess, is it manpower? Is it just a sheer manpower of implementation and time? Is it a, is it a time thing? It is. And it's because we have so many that are so geographically spread out that trying to, you know, just physically get to the locations for things that are needed on site is difficult sometimes uh, because we're talking, you know, one of our clinics in the northwestern portion of the state is about 150 miles from the one that we have at the furthest bottom, you know, or our furthest bottom portion of the state. So, you know, if we have an incident occur at one of those and another, further location off from there, then we're already halfway, you know, taken out as far as resources. And it, it can happen quite a bit. You know, you never know what can happen on a day-to-day basis, but I have found I, that to be probably the most difficult. We need to start cross-recruiting people 
inside organizations and bring them over to IT. Like, I know you work um, in this department, but maybe you want to work for IT. Why don't you give it a try out? So here's what I need you to do. Walk over to this um, uh, box over here. See those wires sticking out? I need you to hit reset. <laughs> I need you to do this. It's actually funny. It's funny that you say that because I have actually I have actually tried to do that here. I was trying to see if anybody would be interested in swapping, you know, kind of like a lateral move from where they're at to help us out. You're pretty smart. This day. I've had no uh, I've had no success, but I still tried. You're like, hey, you're a pretty smart guy. Uh, what do you think about coming on over to my team? Um, <laughs> uh, that's great. Um, so okay, so. Being in a being in a nonprofit, being in a somewhat of the the healthcare space, any any advice or any any great pieces of advice or anything that you've learned that would be like, hey, if I had known this, you know, five years ago, uh, this really would have helped me out. Um, yeah, I, I was well. It's difficult to say, you know, because before coming here, I worked at a an MSP ISP type um, organization where we managed hospitals and clinics, but they were, you know, private and for profit. And that was a whole different type of environment before coming here, you know. Um, and a lot of what I thought would translate over from that uh, didn't quite translate over to the nonprofit sector of healthcare. So um, I'm curious, I'm just really curious as to what doesn't translate over. Like, it's kind of like the the way that the hospitals operate, you know, they, they do different types of services with, with ambulatory services and, and surgeries and emergency rooms and things like that. So um, I guess what I'm trying to say ultimately is that the services and stuff that we provide, we do kind of in favor of our populations that need them. So we're not primarily motivated by money. Um, and the way that the, the operation occurs between the two, you know, for-profit and non-profit healthcare is completely different because you see different things at, at each of those um, that kind of have like a flip perspective, so to speak. If that I'm makes just going to go out and say it. Um, you don't have to because it sounds like like you're like, if I say it, I'm not allowed to say it. But if someone else says it, it's like true. It's like one of those things, you know, whereas it's it's interesting. So, and you may not be saying this, but it sounds kind of like there's certain areas of healthcare that are motivated by money and other areas of healthcare that when it's a nonprofit act in a different way, more in the most efficient, beneficial way to the people that we need and have to help. Yes. You, uh, I am kind of uh, censoring myself, so I'm glad you said it, but I'm just, yeah. I mean, it's exactly. interesting. Well, no, it's, I've had, we, we've had numerous healthcare people on the show before. And we've had pharmaceutical companies, we've had, and it's interesting to hear someone say in a positive way, hope this doesn't get me killed. Again, if I disappear, everybody, I did not um, kill myself um, willingly. <laughs> it's, um, it's interesting to even hear sometimes um, pharmaceutical companies admit yeah, we need doctors to prescribe more of our drug because that's how we make money. To me, that just sounds, right. it's just amazing to me. That sounds like a conflict of interest um, in coming from a family full of doctors and uh, you know, like a, a very large medical family. I can remember when pharmaceutical reps would would spend a lot of money 
on my father. And then all of a sudden one year, like some legislation came through and they're like, hey, we can't do that trip anymore, doc, because of, you know, whatever laws, but, you know, we can do it this way. And I'm not saying that my father was prescribing any more of one drug and any than the other. I think it was just, that was the way it has been and was, and uh, it's just very, um, raises a lot of questions in my mind on, you know, what could, what really could be possible with healthcare if the main motivating factor wasn't profit. Right. Because right. so you've got actually, so many things involved. You've got insurance companies, they've got to make a buck, um, a lot of bucks. Then you've got pharmaceutical companies that got to make a lot of bucks. And yet at the same time, you can still go to the emergency room. And if you don't have insurance, you're going to get taken care of in America. So that's a good thing. Uh, I'm just, I just think there's a lot of opportunity. Yeah. So that's actually what I was in college for. My plan was to go into diagnostic medicine. And I kind of came to that conclusion after being enrolled in the program that, you know, it was more financially motivated than service motivated. Um, well, how many people go to become a doctor? If you're going to become a doctor nowadays, you go become a doctor because you really want to be a doctor because I don't think you really become rich anymore being a doctor. I think you've got to have all kinds of malpractice insurance. It takes years and years and years to become a doctor. You don't make the money that you used to make. But back in the day, it used to be that profession where you really did kind of make a lot of money. I don't think that's the same way anymore. That's that's probably a good thing. Um but I was pre-med too. I was pre-med and I, I dropped out because it was just, it's a dying breed in my family. Like, unless you're like diehard want to be a doctor, don't go become, don't go try and become a doctor because it's years and years of, of schooling. It's a, it's a ton of hard work. And if your heart's not in it, you just can't do it. Yeah. And, um, and you know, finding myself back in healthcare after all those years and looking back, I'm actually really glad I did not do that. And I'm not taking away anything from anybody that did do it. You know, I'm glad that they do do it, but I don't think it would have ended up working out for me. No, but you still are. But look at what technology can do. Look at what technology can do for the healthcare space. And it's not, it's, we could probably do uh, five years worth of shows. It could go on. It could just be the technology. It could be the technology in the healthcare leadership IT space show. It could be that show and we could do it all day long. In fact, we're probably going to just, now that we're rebuilding the website and everything, we're going to start categorizing all these things like IT leadership under healthcare, IT leadership under manufacturing. You know, there's um, there's a lot to be said uh, when it comes to technology and how it, how it um, I don't know, helps patient care. Any great examples Absolutely. that you've seen? Any great examples that you've seen or like what, what do you, like what, what are you excited about right now? So that's actually what I kind of try to focus our, our, our central point of what we do in IT in this department for this organization is I tried to take a patient-based approach with it um, and try to look at it from the patient's shoes because I actually was a patient at one of these clinics. And I thought that if we looked at it from that perspective, that would be the best way to, you know, it would be the best way for us to understand the business processes inside and out. Mm -hmm. um, so we kind of took it and looked at it from, for the second the patient walks in the door to the second they walk out and receive a bill, we want to understand all of that and how IT can get involved in that, how it already is involved in that, and what we can do to better facilitate that whole process. So that's kind of the approach that I took and thought, um, honestly, would be the best approach for this organization. And so far, it's worked out 
tremendously for us. And it, it's helped us get more in touch and in tune with uh, not only our patient base, but our uh, administration team and all of our other various departments and how they all work together. And that's kind of how we found uh, that silver lining that connects all of these various departments together. Um, so let's break that I down. Think- let's break that down because I think that's powerful from an empowering IT getting out of the system admin Reddit complaint group of how much your job is lame in IT and I want to like quit my job group, right? Because a lot of IT can be very, yeah. very draining and you, and there's people that are just like, I hate my job. I'm not showing up today. I'm, I'm quitting. I'm going into something else, you know, like the old office space adage where you just quit and go do construction, right? But what you just what you just said is actually very meaningful and and I the words aren't coming to my mind at the moment of uh, you know I guess I just just meaningful and transform transformative so thinking from the patient's perspective or the the main why right the big why of why we exist or in in this particular organization which happens to be a nonprofit healthcare organization right. You have a big why behind it. So our why is, you know, improving uh, the the patient's experience, um, which improves their their quality of life from the moment they walk in the door. How can technology do that? And then when you're able to vocalize that to, I don't know if you call it executive management, board of directors, what who is it over there? What do you guys call the? What do you call the people? What do we call? So we actually have a we have a board of directors, and then we have an administration team of our C level executives. Right, um, and so I mean we we refer to them as as admin. I just I guess my point is is what you've said here has made me think back to when I sit down with IT directors a lot, and we go through kind of you know just general road mapping and and like you know like kind of like a, a a brainstorming session or a think tank type of session a lot of the, one of the first questions i ask a lot is do you have a mission statement for your organization do you have any type of vision right because what you just said shows that no we do have a mission and we do have a vision we have roles and values which is to support patient care and when you have that you're able to speak to the board of directors you're able to speak from an actual leadership standpoint versus a yeah, um, I need some money to uh, replace this uh, blade server in the back because uh, it's not working. Right. You, you know what I mean? Like, we need to do this because it's going to improve our ability to serve people. Absolutely. I just think that's awesome. Uh, maybe I'm just, you know, maybe I'm making a big deal out of, uh, something small here, but I think that's, it, it, I know it's not small and I'm not trying to put it down, but I, I think the key piece here, and I'm a digger, I like to dig things out is, uh, the fact that you have a, a mission or a vision attached to how you speak and how you run, uh, IT in that organization is, is awesome. Yeah, well, that I think is the most crucial part, um, at least for me in, in this position, is if you don't have that, you know, what do you have to aim towards, or what what are you, what is your goal, what is your your vision? If you don't have that, you have nothing to see, you know, you have nowhere to go, and you just you do fall back into that that kind of sysadmin role that just looks at technology from technology's perspective, and there's no human element to it. Uh, specifically speaking, you know, with healthcare because it is 100 percent 
human based. Um, so, and this is why we need to know, beat it, up. This is why we need to beat up MSPs. And this new portion of the show that I'm making up at the top of my head right now is the portion of the show where we beat up and make fun of MSPs because they shouldn't even exist. Um, <laughs> I'm just, I'm just, and because you came from an MSP and you no longer are no longer in an MSP, you know exactly what I'm talking about. In other words, I do. You got, I do. <laughs> in other words, do you keep earning your paycheck every day, Mr. MSP? Why do you not have an MSP helping you uh, show up at those 45 different locations remotely? Uh, because we just send out some guy that doesn't know our vision or our mission. Or I just, I like beating on MSPs every now and then, uh, just because, um, I don't know, we need to do that for some reason. It, it, I want to get, I want to get a bunch of people mad at me and be like, oh, this guy is, you know, anyways, go ahead. <laughs> I was saying that's completely understandable because you, you do, when you work for an organization like that, you, you're not in it, right? Like you, you're not a part of that company, that culture, their vision, if there is one, or you're not there. You are like an overseer that looks at their network and their systems and you manage that almost robotically, you know, and you do what you do and you do it well, but you do it from that perspective that is completely removed from that organization. It's the ultimate epitome, it yeah. It's the ultimate epitome of top down, like upper management saying, we need someone to keep the lights on, go hire this company. They'll show up and do it. And um, there's a lot of good MSPs out there. I'm not um, I- I'm not bashing all of them, just 99% of them. And they need to earn their paycheck every day. And we just need to come up, we need to come up with a good, the acronym MSP, like what, what could that really stand for? Do you have any? Like, uh, I don't know, Ooh. something missing security, uh, missing security policy. There you go. I just came uh, up yeah, with that off the top works. of my head. That, that works. <laughs> that works perfectly. That, that actually is a good point because there's a lot of things that MSPs miss because of that level of management. You know, without <laughs> being there every day or, or being involved in you know the operations of that organization that you manage, you don't see. Uh, you can you kind of cookie cutter manage everything, right? Like you have different or different uh, customers that may be in different you know fields or, or different sectors, but you kind of manage their systems the same way. Because you, you make it easy on yourself to be able to manage them, you know, in the same way. So there's a lot of things I think that could get missed and do get missed. Specifically, probably security-wise, if, if you know they don't offer any type of security themselves as MSBs, then absolutely. I I just I'm on a big push lately for once you get to a certain size. I don't know what what's the size company where you think you no longer need outsourced IT. I mean, it's obviously small business owners. You know, they might not, you know, if you got, if you've got like, I don't know, 15 employees or something like that, you probably either someone in that company is all of IT themselves. I mean, you're smart enough to do it yourself or you're, you're using some sort of external MSP, but at what point, what's the size do you think where you, where people should be, no, we should have our own internal IT. And I know this is a very broad, uh, people are going to beat me up, but people are going to beat me up for this because I'm like, oh, what are you talking about? What do you mean? What about database management? What about this? You need to hire a guy for that. You know, so I understand. I'm, right. I'm talking very in general here, but I, I, I'm on a push for as many companies that could bring IT in-house as, as if you can, I think you should do it. I think you should. And I don't think it, I don't think the argument of oh you're held hostage by one guy and if that guy gets hit by a bus or, well no obviously you've you've, you've got to do it right but right a hard number I would think probably once you get to close to you know thirty forty maybe you should start considering it um, 
definitely yeah, that's pretty low. 15, that's good. That's definitely low. Yeah. I mean, think about it. 50 employees is it's um it doesn't seem like a lot, but that's pretty significant. Anyone out right. there that well, has a business, I mean, 50 employees is a lot. I mean, that's a lot of people that you are putting food on the table for. That's a lot of devices and a lot of, of processes. If you think that, you know, each one of those individual 50 people will probably have a desktop or a laptop of some sort, maybe both, um, a phone, a printer, you know, scanner, um, you know, cell phone, a managed type of mobile device that you've got to help them with if they access any type of internal corporate information. So you multiply that and get up there quickly. You're looking at, you know, 50 people plus 250 devices or so, maybe more. Mm. Um, so it scales fast. Mm. Um, just maybe yeah, I, I would think that would be a good number. I just thought of Bill Gates and how the how so many people use Microsoft and it just still blows my mind every day that you know we pay licensing fees for all of this. It's amazing. Good for him. Good for you, Bill Gates. Yeah, um, right. <laughs> what else is he gonna make He's money on it. next? No, vaccines. We can't go there. I will get killed. Um <laughs> <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not gonna touch it i'm gonna leave that alone <laughs> good you should leave it alone at dissecting popular it nerds we expect to win and we expect our it directors to win and one of those areas where we know that we can help you win is internet service providers as an it director tasked with managing internet connectivity few vendor relationships can prove more painfully frustrating than the one with your internet service provider the array of challenges seems never-ending from unreliable uptime and insufficient bandwidth to poor customer service and hidden fees it's like getting stuck in rush hour traffic dealing with isps can try one's patience even on the best of days so whether you are managing one location or a hundred locations our back office support team and vendor partners are the best in the industry and the best part about this is none of this will ever cost you a dime due to the partnership and the sponsors that we have behind the scenes at dissecting popular it nerds let us show you how we can manage away the mediocrity and hit it out of the park. We start by mapping all of the available fiber routes, and we use our 1.2 billion in combined customer buying power in massive economy of scale to map all of your locations, to overcome construction fees, to use industry historical data, to encourage providers to compete for the lowest possible pricing, to negotiate the lowest rates guaranteed, and to provide fast response times in hours, not days. And we leverage aggregators and wholesale relationships to ensure you get the best possible pricing available in the marketplace. And on top of all of this, you get proactive network monitoring and proactive alerts so that you're not left calling 1-800-GO-POUND-SAND to enter in a ticket number and wonder, why is my internet connection down? In short, we are the partner that you have always wanted who understands your needs, your frustrations, and knows what you need without you having to ask. So we're still human, but we are some of the best and we aim to win. This all starts with a value discovery call where we find out what you have, why you have it, and what's on your roadmap. All you need to do is email internet at popularit.net and say, I want help managing all of my internet garbage. Please make my life easier and we'll get right on it for you. Have a wonderful day. Okay, what, what, else, do we, what else do we got? Um, other conspiracy theories that um, have nothing to do with healthcare or, um, I don't know, bats and cross-referencing of genetic material that uh, may be true. There's got to be something. COVID? Are we talking COVID? 
No, no, absolutely not. I just told you, I don't want to die. Uh, oh, well, I can, I, I actually will touch that one because that is when I came into this organization and actually, um, in the heat of COVID. So, I mean, I have a lot that I could say about COVID that has been an absolute life changer, uh, for me in particular, especially working in the healthcare sphere during the pandemic. Fire away. I could not fire away. So I'll start by saying that the year of 2020 and 2021 to me is one year. I still cannot differentiate in my mind that that was two separate years because healthcare absolutely broke down. Um, from the IT perspective and the healthcare perspective, I, I really cannot put a point at any point in that two year span that I'm like, okay, this was the stop right here and this is where we rolled into a new year. It doesn't exist for me because hmm. we, we, we're literally going, you know, we would have to work from home for months at a time. If we did come on site, we would have to be locked in a room and not able to leave, especially with sick patients everywhere. You know, you couldn't go into clinics. You couldn't. It was bad. It was very bad. And it was very difficult. And unfortunately for us, during that time was when we went through the most expansion. So we actually took in uh, between the year of 2020 and 2021, we took we took on 17 more clinics, actually 18. Um, in that two two or one year time span, whichever way you want to look at it, for me it's one, um, and that was extremely difficult to implement and put in place, uh, especially with that size of growth. Um, what it was it was, of, it was uh, so so. What's your perspective on the whole thing? And and I can tell you right away. So I did a Boston Naga Jiu Jitsu tournament, and then like the next day was that crazy bio like i don't know uh um expo that where like covid broke out there and like that that's what i remember like oh jujitsu started when i did i mean <laughs> covid started when i did my last jujitsu tournament and then it and then i don't know if it's really ended yet because so much happened i ended up moving like four times during that whole thing it's like i think everyone yes like you said, everyone will know like, oh, it was just kind of this blur of this like start to finish. Yeah. Who cares about two thousand whatever year, right? What? 2020, 2000, what, what was it? 2022, 2000, I don't even know. 2020, 2022. Yeah. Uh, something like that. During that, it's, it's, it doesn't matter what the years are. It's like the COVID time. So what did you see then being in the medical what do you actually see? Is it any different than now number of patients or anything like that? Was there any kind of like crazy, um, I, what did you guys, what were you involved in and what were you doing? So we, it, what you see being in healthcare during that type of crisis is you actually get to see the magnitude of the people that are actually sick in one place. You know, you, you may hear about it on the news or you may see it, you may hear people talking about it, but until you actually see that in person and you see, you know, uh, hospital beds and rooms crammed to the brim and people sleeping in hallways, then it becomes real for you. And I'm sure other people have spoken about that before, especially healthcare professionals, but that is a, a site that you do not want to see because then you're like, oh, wow, this is, this must have been what it was like back in the Black Plague when everyone was in one spot, you know, kind of just dying together because that's actually what it was uh, for a lot of people. And it was, it was horrific. Um, but yeah, that, that, you're that the first person that said, you're the bit. first person that I've heard say that. Um, and again, I come from a family full of like, my sister was up in Vermont. I guess that was one of the least affected places. And I asked her like, is, did you see that? And she said, no, I asked my other 
buddy who has all of the he has um all of like the retirement homes and elderly care and um facilities in massachusetts and they they actually opened up and completely emptied one of their facilities for overflow from the hospital and i asked him what was like you know the data because he has access to data what you know like what were the death rates like and in this that and he said phil it's like he's like the numbers weren't too much different from the previous year except it all happened at once within like a couple like you know like a couple weeks or a month or something it's like it was like pouring gasoline on the fire or something like that we lost everyone within a very short period of time so yeah um yes i don't i don't don't know what to say i'm just i'm just asking because and and what did what was it's job during that well uh what what happened like what did you guys i'm just curious like what what it was for it um being in that situation so uh, well i mean it was kind of twofold for me because before i came here i I was again working for the msbi the organization i was working for and i mean that was pretty much you know 24 7 you've got to set up vpns to get people connected to work from home from wherever they can possibly work you know kind of get them service so they can do what they can from wherever because you know it, it was no one knew where they were going to be the next day you didn't know at that point in time at least uh were you going to be able to come in were you going to have to work from home were you going to have to work from the vehicle so we spent a lot of time doing that and then once i got here uh, with trinity we it wasn't necessarily so bad for us because sometimes you know especially with like the newer clinics and stuff that we were open we could go in there we would still have to wear masks and you know social distance and stay apart but we could go in there and there typically wouldn't be patients or students or anything like that so we would have a kind of open building because no one was there you know um they were all at home or in the clinic so that portion wasn't so bad but for the most part you know we kind of it was just difficult to to mobilize Um, definitely i I had one it director they moved the entire like help desk basically to his like his um I don't know if he had a one bedroom or a studio apartment. He's like, Phil, I'm losing my mind. He's like, all the, bo- everything is shipped to my apartment. Like, <laughs> like desktops route, like whatever. I don't know, you know, and then yeah, moving everyone, having to work from different people, having to work from home, turning up VPNs. Yes. He's like, everything is coming to me. I think he almost had a mental breakdown. He probably did. I think I can completely understand that um that just (laughs) i'm laughing because it really is just listening to him talk about it made me uh i'm just trying to imagine like an apartment and like boxes showing up and and all of a sudden like there's like a network operating center like you know like like you know in a help desk like working out of your apartment i was like well you you always wanted to work from home here you go Um, right (laughs) yeah unfortunately not the best circumstances but you didn't get your wish I, I was kind of the same, you know, I wanted to work from home too. And at that point I hadn't been afforded the opportunity to do so. And I had three young kids whenever I had to work home for, I think it was about four months um, right after COVID hit. And mm. yeah, it was, it was difficult. You don't realize, I guess how difficult it is, especially whenever you have young children and uh, schools are out, you know, and you think working from home is going to be, oh, this is going to be great. That's not uh. the case. You find that out real quick. My wife has homeschooled the kids for 18 years or something like that. Uh, so we don't know. Yeah. I actually don't know life without children. I don't know it. Uh, I mean, I do, but it was like back when, you know, 
like we were like newly married. That was like, you know, the first half of my life. And a quarter of that was, I don't know, up until high school or something. So yeah. Um, I don't know. I think I just went blank and had, yeah, like- uh, yeah. Just lost some brain cells some more on that one. The, <laughs> I ask people a lot, are you prepared for another COVID? Are you prepared for another, um, I don't know, what do we call that? I know there's a word for it and it's been used pandemic? over and over. Yes, thank you. <laughs> wow. Yeah. I- yes, pandemic. What is your pandemic, pandemic preparedness, um, I don't know, uh, redundancy um, plan? I think I would be much more prepared this time around, but I can't strictly say that I'd be 100% prepared, you know, because I would think if we had similar circumstance, especially with this virus, that it's probably mutated and made it possibly twice as bad. I, I don't know, but, you know, uh, the fortunate part of that is we've kind of already had to, to live it and deal with it. So we've got a pretty good game plan of what we would need to do next. Um, the I actually have company really is consistent. the new MSP company. I'm just, I just thought of another one missing pandemic systems. That's the other. There you go. Yes. Okay. Keep going. Keep going. MPS. Yes. That uh, would be uh, yeah. There you go. Dyslexia <laughs> kicking in. <laughs> That's okay. I, I think we would be much better off this time around. Uh, it still would be extremely difficult. Don't get me wrong, but I think we would be able to, to handle it and, and mitigate, you know, some of the urgency a little bit more, at least from, you know, my perspective. I don't know about anything outside of myself, but I think we could do it. I think we'd be much more prepared to do it for sure. Well, Josh, it's been a pleasure having you on the show. I I would say that the biggest aha moment, at least for me, and I would imagine everyone else listening to, is to have a vision and or a mission as to why you're IT department exists because then it helps you translate what you're doing on purpose, right? IT on purpose uh, right. to to executive management. If you're not already in executive management, or if you're not already um, sitting around that that boardroom table, so to speak, which in a in a nonprofit most often you're probably not, or at least in the medical industry or in a large practice, most likely you're not. It's most likely a, a, um, I don't know, group of doctors or other people that are very hard to herd together and get to think anything about technology in a meaningful manner. Um, so if you tie it back to why you guys exist to begin with, then it's much more powerful to speak that way. Yeah, it's it's you know it's it's you have to kind of develop it as a as a competency for the for the organization for the stakeholders that are within it because um, it's not typically a language that they speak you know it's not something that they see or do on a day to day basis so they don't they don't have the knowledge that you have or the the insight that you have and you have to bring that to them and present it to them and make it you know not make it out to where you're not just the the IT guys you know off in the corner somewhere in a closet tapping away at a keyboard, working on computers. You've got to make yourself a part of that organization and make them see that as well. And they will, you know, if you if you can successfully do that, I think you've gotten half the battle taken care of. Well, thank you so much for being on Dissecting Popular IT Nerds. Uh, absolutely been a pleasure. Thank you, sir. Thank you, Phil. I appreciate the opportunity. <laughs>